Hey, everybody. Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. The two Republican canvassers departed the meeting with a group of people. And outside in the parking lot is where this call from Ronna McDaniel and Donald Trump was received. And they instructed these two individuals and pressured them. You voted to certify demanding this audit. But if you don't, don't sign this certification, you cannot sign the certification because if you do sign the certification, you'll never get the audit that you're press, pressing for. So this idea of not signing the statement of votes, which is kind of a key mechanism and in, in the process, process of certifying a Michigan election is really a big moment. Without their signatures, there's the possibility that supporters of the former president could argue that the election in Wayne County wasn't actually mm-hmm. certified despite the vote. Holy moly. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, along comes another... Uh, Perfect phone call. Another another whale of a Trump bombshell. We're going to get to that in a second. That was a reporter for the Detroit Free Press. Uh, very excited for today's show. We have Michael Steele back with us again. But first... Thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we'll read some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe, and you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. So by now, everybody, uh, unless you've been living under a rock, everybody's heard the, I just need to find 11,000, you know, that Georgia election meddling phone call that Donald Trump made to Secretary of State Brad Rappensberger. Well, last night, the bombshell news dropped that Trump pretty much did the same thing in Detroit. This time, on November 17th, 2020, there was a phone call where he and RNC Chair Ronna McDaniel pressured two Republican members of the Wayne County Board of Canvassers. Their names are Monica Palmer and William Hartman. And the pressuring was for them not to sign the certification of the presidential election. Trump told them they'd look, quote, terrible if they signed the documents after they first voted in opposition and then later in the same meeting voted to approve them. Uh, This was to certify the county's election results. Trump said, quote, we've got to fight for our country. We can't let these people take our country from us. And then McDaniel chimed in. McDaniel, who's a uh, Michigan native, by the way, she said, quote, if you can go home tonight, do not sign it. We will get you attorneys. And then Trump added, we'll take care of that. Now, you don't really need attorneys unless you do something bad or illegal, right? So clearly, the concerted effort around the country in the swing states to steal this election is truly unbelievable. And yet it doesn't matter in the sense that in July, poll of Republican primary voters had Trump at 54 mm-hmm. percent. And since July, we've had, you know, indictments. Mm-hmm. We've had all of these revelations. And in December poll, they're at 64 yes, percent. I was going to say, I beg to differ. It does matter. It, it actually scores him more. Well, that, it does. <laughs> that's he's, true. He's, he's more popular. Yep. When Trump says something like vermin and... They are poisoning the blood of our nation. He knows exactly what he's doing. And the reason he does it again is because his people like Hitler talk. It was effective the first time. <laughs> it's comedy callback call right there. <laughs> but but on the other, I mean, there's one silver lining is that there are really good Republicans and Democrats, really good Republicans, I'd mm-hmm. like to add, who um, have morals and have stood up and have done the right thing. And yes. that's important. 
yes, 100%, but even more important to this democracy is that a lot of those people are in our, our judicial system. Because every single bogus bullshit case, every single bullshit motion, every single bullshit appeal basically has gone against Trump. And that includes Republican judges and Trump-appointed judges and Trump-appointed justices on the Supreme Court. That's our, our dam. That's what's holding the flood back. Um, because if our judicial system did not hold, we would be living in a dictatorship. I think you're right that they'll make the right choice on some of these cases. I'm not sure about all of these cases. I think things like Colorado, they're not going to rule the way we like. Well, if you filter out all the noise with the 14th Amendment issue, like he needs to be criminally convicted of insurrection, well, not according to to the 14th Amendment, Section 3. There's nothing in that uh, clause that uh, stipulates that conviction is necessary. Um, and there's also people who say, well, this is something that should be legislated by Congress. There's nothing in the 14th Amendment, Section 3, about that. And the other thing, too, is, well, the people should decide. The people, not the courts. Well, the people voted in 2020. And how did Trump and his cronies handle that? We've seen the Supreme Court interfere with presidential elections in this very century, and it wasn't good in 2000, and they could easily make a wrong choice in 2024. Agree. And the Supreme Court uh, are strict constitutionalists when it's convenient with their ideology. You have to look at their previous patterns, which is not to rule in favor of Trump, even people like Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and others. But 2020, you're right, but it was different. 2020 was, hey, let's give it to our guy. It wasn't, let's turn America into a dictatorship. Well, some things in the Constitution are well enumerated, like the age at which you can become president or the number of terms you can become president. Those are easily done. You can count to two easily. They can interpret what the Colorado Supreme Court interpreted as insurrection, mm -hmm. and they can interpret it differently. And, and the reason they might do that is because of their fear of a slippery slope because they don't want other states to do something similar. And sure. it has nothing to do with Trump specifically. Absolutely. But flip side to that is they can also say, hey, federalism, states' rights. States' rights to a point whether they want states to be able to, what they may interpret as interfere with a federal election or of a president may be mm -hmm. uh, a bridge too far for them. Yeah, that's what I Hard to say. say. It's a crapshoot. But uh, if, if I was a gambling man, I'll take the bet that the Supreme Court upholds Colorado. Should we do our last bet of 2023? I'm down. Okay. What are we betting this time? Because I'm feeling very confident that All right. Hot stuff. I'm, I'm, feel, I'm feeling, you know. Name your bet. And it's not going to be chocolate this time. <laughs> not, uh, I, I, so wait a second. Do... You don't want more chocolate from SamuelSweetShop.com in Rhinebeck, New York? I don't eat a lot of chocolate, but what I, when I do, I eat it from Samuel's <laughs> Chocolate Shop in Rhinebeck. But of course. Who How... doesn't like SamuelSweetShop.com in Rhinebeck, New York? Delicious. But no, I think we should What's mix it up a little bit. <laughs> what do we? You decide. <laughs> I don't All right, know. We can figure out the bet, uh, but I'm feeling pretty confident that. Okay. Gonna... So Trump, Hitler, what's happening here? I, I, I am so enraged because I wrote something eight fucking years ago about this very thing. 
warning of this very thing. And I'm not the only one. I love when people say things like, you know, we didn't see this coming with Trump. No, a lot of people saw it coming with Trump. A lot of people saw everything coming with Trump. And there were some people like myself who saw the Hitler comparisons. This is a guy who seems to worship Adolf Hitler. His late wife, Ivana, said that he kept a book of Hitler's speeches near his bed. He himself is acknowledged owning a copy of Mein Kampf, even though this week he claimed he didn't. And Trump being a pathological liar means that if he says, I don't own a copy of Mein Kampf, that means he owns a copy of Mein Kampf. Yes, but he's not reading it from the side of his bed. He does not read books. I don't know. Something tells me he read that one. Someone's read it to him, maybe. He probably has Steve Bannon read to him at night. <laughs> uh, bedtime the best stories. <laughs> bedtime stories. <laughs> and then we have his consistent, constant praise of some of the worst people in the world right now. We're like a rocket ship. It was like a rocket ship sent by Kim Jong-un. Just like that. Who is very nice, I will tell you. He's not uh, so fond of this administration, but he's fond of me. And we had a very good relationship. Vladimir Putin of Russia says that Biden's, and this is a quote, politically motivated persecution of his political rival is very good for Russia because it shows the rottenness of the American political system. Viktor Orban, the highly respected prime minister of Hungary said, Trump is the man who can save the Western world. Can you imagine President Xi of China, powerful kind of a guy, they hate when I say that, oh, you're saying nice things now. He controls 1.4 billion people rather ruthlessly, right? First of all, who, who the fuck is Kim Jong-un? This guy has an absolute fascination with brutal dictators simply because they like him. And because he desperately wants to be one. Yeah. Yep, quiet part out loud. <laughs> Could you imagine if, if Trump was around in, 19, in the 40s? He'd be like, a lot of people talking about Adolf Hitler like he's a bad guy. I don't know, but he likes me. He likes me. Who cares whether these people like him? That's how you get love, by crushing your dissenters. He didn't get any from his parents. All right, let's talk about Rudy Giuliani. When I testify, you'll get the whole story, and it will be definitively clear that what I said was true and that... Whatever happened to them, which is, it's unfortunate if other people overreacted, but everything I said about them is true. Do you regret what, what you did to... Of course I don't regret. I told the truth. They, they were engaged in changing votes. There's no proof of that. Oh, you're damn right there is. Stay tuned. Oh, Rudy. <laughs> Rudy. The fall from grace. Everything Trump touches dies. And he's dying a slow, painful, embarrassing, humiliating death. Good. I mean, he's doubled down. Like, Rudy Giuliani was like, you know what? $148 million isn't enough. I want to get sued again. <laughs> I want to just say the same shit over and over again. So he doubles down on his defamation of Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. And within like, I don't know, five minutes, they sued him again, okay? And then the judge in the case says, by the way, the $148 million judgment from last week, you, you don't have to wait 30 days. You, you can collect that immediately, immediately. And what does Rudy do? He immediately files for bankruptcy. Uh, Actually, I have to say, 
in his situation, that's probably the only logical thing he's done. He says he's worth between $1 million and $10 million. <laughs> okay. uh, he has liabilities between $100 million and $500 million. Um, and he estimates he has between 1 and 49 creditors. That's quite a range, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Like, I owe people money. I don't know if I owe one person <laughs> money or 49. <laughs> And the 49 is so specific. <laughs> not 50. Not 50. 49. Like you would think if he knows it's 49, he kind of knows it's not one. Right? Yes. In fact, as a gambling man, I'm going to gamble and say it's 49. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. And and poor Rudy. He's uh he's been he's doing cameos. He's doing cameos. Have you seen these things? Yeah, yeah. Somebody said he has to he has to do like five thousand cameos <laughs> in order to pay his legal bills. Shalom, Susie. <laughs> Wishing you and your twin sister down there in Australia a very sexy sweet sixteen. Because he would actually call a sweet sixteen sexy because he's a fucking perv. <laughs> For those of you at home, if you ever want to get to Jen, <laughs> just just do some Rudy. Just it, it just never ends with her. So good. <laughs> Well, let's get to our winners and losers. My winner, the Colorado Supreme Court for disqualifying Trump from the 2024 ballot. My loser, a new Texas law which will allow police to arrest migrants who cross the U.S.-Mexico border illegally and give local judges the authority to order them to leave the country. I'm going to have to go ditto on my winner because I think the Colorado Supreme Court upheld the rule of law. And while I don't actually think this is going to stand in the Supreme Court, I hope it does. My loser, it's just too obvious this week for me. It had to be Giuliani because, you know, when you lose 148 Excuse million... Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Proceed. You lose $148 million and then you're told you have to pay it like now and you obviously don't have it. That's a big loss. <laughs> My winner, 70-year-old Oklahoma man Glenn Simmons, who was exonerated this week after spending 48 years in prison for murder in a liquor store robbery, which was considered the longest time served by a wrongfully convicted inmate in the United States. My loser, Rudy Giuliani, who, not satisfied with having to pay $148 million to Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, doubled down on defamation and immediately got sued again. All right, it's time for our weekly rant. Trigger alert. If you're a Gen Z with thin skin, now would be a great time to do a vibe check and bounce. Because I'm growing increasingly impatient and, quite frankly, annoyed by the naivete and attitude of young people today. Their planet is burning up. Their schools are being shot up. If they get an abortion, they could be locked up. Their constitution is being torn up. Their democracy is being blown up. But polls show young people are abandoning President Biden because of his support for Israel, following the worst massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. While young people today are the most electorally engaged in decades, with 31% under age 30 having voted in 2022, that number is both perplexing and embarrassing. Given what's at stake with climate change, reproductive rights, school shootings, and overall gun violence, and the existential threat facing our democracy, that stat should be more like 80%. If they don't vote and vote Democrat now, I doubt they ever will. So why are young people's voting percentages so low? Why don't they vote? 
Many people characterize them as uninformed, naive, and misguided at best, or apathetic, entitled, and lazy at worst. With each election, there's the incessant chatter, more like hope about how it's Gen Z and young people who are going to save us from the evils of Donald Trump and Republicans, that they're fired up to change America. But come election day, they don't show up. Maybe they're too tired, or it's too cold outside, or it's raining, or they want to hang with friends, or they'd rather binge Bachelor in Paradise, or they simply just don't give a shit. Hey, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just throwing out the possible reasons, because the truth is, it's got to be one or more of them. Look, I get that young people think Biden's too old, and that they'd love a president who more generationally represents them. I also get that they're concerned about the war and the collateral damage in Gaza and blame Biden for it. I get that they're young and idealistic. But part of being an adult is to understand and accept that, as Mick Jagger famously sang, you can't always get what you want. That sometimes you're faced with what you consider two really unpleasant choices. And the smartest, most practical, most mature thing to do is to bite your lip, suck it up, and choose one. Call it the lesser of two evils or however you need to frame it. But staying home and choosing nothing, or worse, throwing votes away on third-party candidates with zero chance of winning, is impractical, immature, and dangerous. Because this time, it literally could mean the end of our 247-year-old democracy. All right, it's time for Michael Steele. He's the former RNC chairman, former lieutenant governor of Maryland, political analyst for MSNBC, and host of the Michael Steele podcast. Michael, welcome back into the back room. Hey, man, it's good to see you. So I want to start off with the uh, the Trump bombshell. Here we are in Detroit this time. Another Georgia-like, I just need to find 11,000 you know, votes. Yeah. Another call with RNC chair Ronald McDaniel on this one, which is obviously yeah. is a uh, situation I, I would gather resonates with you for obvious reasons. What do you make of this? Is this a real bombshell? It is. I mean, it, well, it is to the extent that it is a consistent uh, behavioral pattern that we now see that in Georgia and now Michigan, the president was directly involved a, in the conversations. All right, that's the first thing. It's not one thing less like the aides are having the conversations or his political team is having the conversations with these officials. He's on the call. B, he is actually applying pressure. He's using his presidential authority, which actually, ironically enough, links back to the other narrative about the 14th Amendment mm -hmm. and the president acting as an officer uh, under the color of the Constitution. So he's using his authority as president in that conversation to apply pressure on individuals to commit an illegal act, to go find me the votes I need to be declared the winner. What makes it even, even more uh, compelling is that you now have Ronna McDaniels, the head of the national party, political party on the call. So you see now this convergence of things uh, around uh, efforts that are not just um, in the political space, but even more broadly, the president himself directly uh, handling, negotiating, involving, um, and and pushing uh, for a particular outcome. 
And what is the impact of this going to be, in your opinion? Is this going to just be like, oh, this is just another thing. Jack Smith has so much already. It's just whatever. Or well, is this, I think still, it, this really change the composition of the case? Well, I, I don't think it's so much of changing the composition of the case. I think what it does is it adds a, a larger nail into the into the uh, legal coffin um, that uh, Jack Jack Smith is is building for Trump, and and so it just. It confirms, again, it confirms um, the evidence. So now, not only is he talking about what happened in Georgia, what happened on January 6th, he's now talking about what happened in Michigan. It will not surprise me if um, we find out something else, that there's another tape somewhere. Um, So, yeah, I, I think from the legal perspective, what this does is it just really locks in the narrative around Trump's culpability uh, in fomenting, planning, and executing uh, insurrection uh, on January 6th. Politically, he's going to wear this like a pair of underwear. It is going to be that close to him. He will personalize it in a way um, that we've always seen Donald Trump personalize it because he is, at the end of the day, a petulant little boy who blames everybody else because he wet the bed. And the reality of it is um, that that's the political uh, problem we're going to have. His base will triple down on this. It confirms for them further narratives that uh, the system is after Trump, uh, even though they hear the man on the tape committing the crime, Right. It literally, this is literally the metaphor for I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. People watch me do the crime. People hearing me do the crime. And they still don't think I committed a crime because they are into me that much. And so that's his superpower is that he has a lot of people who are into him that much. And he uses that against the system the judicial system, the legal system, the political system, in a way that we've never seen any, anyone, political or otherwise, use. And that, that's something the country still has not adjusted to. The press hasn't adjusted to it because they still co- cover Donald Trump like he's George Bush or, or, or Bill Clinton. Some typical, regular, re, you know, Republican candidate running for president. He is not. He, he's an apostate politically. He's a threat um, uh, democratically to the country. Um, and he needs to be treated as such. But they don't because he's clickbait. He's cash. He furthers the grift. It just works for everybody who has other interests in this. Those of us in the democracy, democracy space, however, I've gone, WTF, can you guys get a grip and understand what's in front of you? The political system is the same. We've watched the Lindsey Grahams and others just kind of mealy mouth their way through after very strong rhetoric in 15 and 16, now just kind of bend over and and just accept whatever Donald Trump uh, puts out there. Well, I want to ask you about that in a second, but I just want to stick with Ronna McDaniel and the RNC for w- one quick second. When you see her engaged in situations like that, as someone who was in that chair, what do you think is missing most right now from the RNC? 
Uh, leadership, um, a sense of executing on discipline. Uh, I was very big on discipline. Again, one of the reasons I was not very popular inside the building, because I just, I just wouldn't take people's crap. You had, you know, and I verified, I mean, I'm a Reagan Republican in the sense, yeah, I trust, but baby, you need to verify this before I write a check or I go out on the press or I do anything on the matter you put in front of me. Um, I, I, I said this to Reince Priebus in, in the 2016 campaign, drop him like, like he's poison on your hands. Get rid of, wash yourselves, clean it up. Don't deal with this. Um, when he, when Donald Trump came down the escalator and started talking about, you know, Mexicans as murderers and rapists, I told Reince, I said, you call his behind down to Washington. You don't go to New York. You're the chairman of the party. He's now declared himself a candidate. So he's working for you. You're, he needs you to get elected. All that the RNC brings nationally, state, and locally, that's the system he's now declaring he wants to be a part of. You run that system. So you don't go on the, get on a plane to the candidate in a matter like that. You bring the candidate to you on your power center, in your office, and you sit him down, you hand him that, that autopsy report you guys wasted all that money on, and you tell him, this is what we do. This is how we are planning to embrace um, uh, communities of color, Hispanics and others. We're not calling them criminals. Didn't do it. And the rest, as they say, is a mess. Same with Rana. Ronna McDaniels, I knew, I knew it was her leadership was clipped and she was largely in it would be ineffective the day Donald Trump told her, you need to stop using Romney as your in your name. So remember, people forget she went by Ronna Romney McDaniel. She dropped the Romney because guess what? Donald Trump didn't like her uncle. And she did. So when someone tells you not to use your family name and you do. Dude, you know what's up. Come on. Yeah, ain't got to tell you anything else after that. It doesn't matter. So he stuck behind her, got her reelected three times despite the RNC losing election after election after election, paying for his, uh, paying for his legal bills instead of paying for uh, resources and putting in resources um, to, to win elections, putting up candidates that were largely puppets of Donald Trump as opposed to candidates who could actually win in uh, elections, and now they're sitting there as of November 30th with $9 million in the bank going into a presidential election. So yeah, um, this tape does not surprise me. Uh, her, her being on the call was uh, one of those moments where she, with the moment that conversation started that way, she should have shut it down and excused herself and gotten her lawyers involved but her lawyers were probably on the call too. So there's that. Mm -hmm. In a a hypothetical world, if she turned to you and handed you the keys and said, she's all yours, pal, what would be the first three things you would do to fix the RNC? Here's the problem, uh, Andy, at this point. It's it's not fixable. Mm -hmm. Over 70% of the leadership of the party is MAGA. Hello, I walk into that space for that's literally like walking into a room full of lions and expecting them to to pay attention to when you say sit Mm -hmm. (laughs) or or don't eat me, you know, 
Oh, it's just no. Mm-hmm. There is no, there's nothing recoverable there because the virus is so much throughout the system uh, that you you literally just are watching the patient die at this point. I mean, how do you how do you recover? Who no one wants to make it better. They've had turns and and opportunities and times to do that, and they've refused. You you've got candidates, electable candidates who are retiring from Congress because they, they don't want to play in this, this cesspool anymore. Um, they're being replaced by, and the party is promoting, uh, candidates like um, the woman running uh, against Alexandria, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in New York, who every other word out, out of her mouth is the F word. Mm-hmm. Literally, every time she talks. So you're like, okay, so we want to send... We want to send a combination of of Bobert and and Matt Gates <laughs> and Margie Taylor Greene to Congress. Why why would we do that? But the party that's their nominee, and they're like, hey, let's let's go win the election. So I I at this point, if I were taking up that challenge, I would go in there with a poli- a political enema, <laughs> and clean the whole thing out. That sounds messy. Yeah, and it would be. And it would be because you don't control who comes to the body, the 168 members who are the chairman, the national committee man and the national committee woman from every state. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't have a say in that. But what I would have to do is set a new tone, a new standard uh, inside the building and across the country that says we we are not embracing MAGA. We are not embracing uh, white nationalism. We're not embracing white Christian nationalism. We are not embracing the big lie. We are not embracing uh, January 6th as just, you know, uh, political uh, discourse. Um, We are calling the spades the spades. And those of you who don't want to play, there's the exit. Those of you who believe in Reagan-esque, Bush, uh, um, you know, Eisenhower and Lincoln principles, Let's let's do this. Let's go. Let's go win elections on policy and principle as opposed to BS. Um, but that that chairman would last probably about thirty five minutes. I was going to say and, you probably would be like one eleventh Scaramucci'd. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you know you know what it is you're walking into, but it, I was there and turned the party around, and they fired me for the success that we brought because um, I I was trying to force them and move them uh, into a position that it's clear they uh, not only are resistant to but don't want any part of. So mm-hmm. um, I, I'm just not going to pretend that you know my style of republicanism is something this party is ready to embrace. But so, I still fight for it because it's important. Is the party broken or is it dead? I mean, it seems like it's dead because I can't imagine a scenario where it comes back to the days of Michael Steele. Yeah, uh, that you know, that's I think is the true reality of it. Um, it is going. It has gone through um, a lot. But the, here's the thing: I think people miss about where the party, the party's current travels. They've been on that road for a long time. Andy, it's, this is not a new a new thing. The party has dealt with these elements uh, throughout its modern history, 
um, and certainly uh, took a turn in a post-Reconstruction America when it allowed uh, those who fomented and caused a great war uh, to survive it uh, and to build monuments to it um, and, and literally established in one sense a, a, um, a, a, a small, even though the Confederacy was dead, it still exists. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, we have been battling with that. Um, the John Birch Society in the late 50s uh, trying to take over the party. Nixon's Southern strategy, which moved the party um, in a way that opened the door for angry white Southern men who were pissed at Democrats. Because remember, the, the Democrats controlled the South uh, and um, uh, were uh, stalwarts against, uh, uh, you know, the institutional things like civil rights and, and things like that. Uh, when the party, when the Democrats moved towards that, Nixon saw that as an opening, created a Southern strategy for those people. Hey, y'all come over here because mm -hmm. that's how you that's how you won the White House back in the day. You had to go through the South. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, Reagan um, kicked off his his 80 campaign um, in, in Mississippi, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, signaling, signaling to that same cohort that, you know, they would be all right with him as long as they voted. The moral majority then emerged into the party, and that was the embrace of uh, evangelical conservatism as a political force um, inside the GOP. So, and then Trump. And so you can see these, these, these stair-step levels of how we got to where we are. So it's not new. Uh, the party's been battling with this uh, for a long while. And um, unfortunately, uh, like any cancer, um, in most cancers, there's a point where you lose. And but that's what's happened, don't in my view. You, and I agree with all of that, but we could always rely on the, the Republican Party to at least join with Democrats in not crossing the line, which is Hitler. Right? Like... Now, you, you it's okay. Think. Lindsey Graham is like, I don't care about his words. Really? Of course he doesn't. Of course he doesn't. You don't care that the front runner of the GOP is citing Hitler rhetoric? Yeah. Like, that's now, okay so, now? So, so, but I, I tell you, he, he, would, he would crap all over himself if, if Joe Biden uh, quoted a Marxist, mm -hmm. Lenin, or you know, some other you know, uh, communist figure. He would he would crap all over himself. He would pass out, get the vapors completely, right? <laughs> so it is the political disingenuity of it all that you know that, um, uh, from my perspective, um, defines these individuals in a way that they are unserious and quite frankly irrelevant because they're not going to they're they're not going to change anything. They're, they are literally, they're the worst kind of Band-Aid. You ever have one of those, you get a cut and you put a Band-Aid on and the Band-Aid just won't stick. I mean, it just gives like, damn, you know, why can't we make a better Band-Aid? No, um, they're that. Um, are you still using we, like the Sesame Street Band-Aids, Michael? Maybe yeah, I know, I know, right? I like the Cookie Monster, what can I say? You know, it looks, it's just so cute. Um, but yeah, man, it's just, where, where do we think this goes? 
So this, everything we're talking about right now, and it comes back to three words for me. We the people, man. I mean, right now, Americans are telling us that despite the economic um, recovery that's underway, gas prices are now 50% lower than they were, 50 cents lower than where they were um, pre-pandemic, right? You've got, you've got inflation down to 3% from the 9 10% it was a year ago. Uh, you've got a president who is by hook or crook manage at least managing Israel and Hamas, and yet his progressive left are apoplectic mm -hmm. about it mm -hmm. and losing losing their minds. You've got all these other things that are going on, and yet Americans are sitting there going, well, I'll take the guy who declares that he wants to be a dictator for one day over the guy who's at least trying to save, save us from ourselves, mm -hmm. save the country, and put us on the right course. I said in 2019, uh, during at the beginning of the presidential campaign, that, that Joe Biden would be a transitional president. And as a transit, what I meant by that was he would be the president we would need to transition us away from the very things we're trying to lean into. Mm -hmm. And that's in large measure what we see happening. He is transitioning us or trying to transition us away from those things, from our baser instincts, uh, authoritarianism, uh, selfishness, uh, a sense of, you know, uh, looking at our neighbor as other, right? And trying to, and trying to do that. The problem is the Democrats messaging has largely sucked on all of that. And the country has found itself sitting there going, well, I just don't believe it. And the rhetoric is, you know, from the right is so much about Biden's age and Kamala Harris and, and all these things that, it's easier to buy into if there's no counter narrative that's that sh this shows wait a minute that's just that's just crazy talk here's the real deal so yeah i mean it's going to fall on us at the end of the day do you do you really want the guy who says he wants to be a dictator and there's no scenario on the planet where that's what i want none give give me give me a guy um who i may have severe policy differences with um who you know probably wants to put in place a, a green new deal. I'll have that fight. I can do that fight. It's harder for me to fight the guy who now controls the military, who now controls the apparatus of the infrastructure for national security, who has the uh, ability to declare martial law, to uh, do all these things that would literally strip away my rights. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take I'll take the fight over the Green New Deal over that. Well, what you're talking about is that for, for years we've seen how Trump's behavior, his, his words, his actions, his rhetoric have have been normalized because there's just mm -hmm. so much of it that it mm -hmm. just it's like, oh, that's just Trump and it becomes normal. But I, I something clicked in me this week with this Hitler stuff. And sure, I could say it's because I'm a Jew that maybe I'm a little more sensitive to it. Than, than perhaps non-Jews, but I, I I don't think so. I think we all kind no, of grew I, up I, with Hitler. I'm standing with Hitler's you, a, yeah, I'm right Hitler's there a with bad. 
he was a bad dude, and nobody he likes likes people either. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so we, but we, but now Hitler is okay. How do we come back from that? What's left? Damn, you know, just rampant the, use of the N word. Is that what's next? Just, you know, I mean, yeah, well, what? we've already saw that. Uh, Elon Musk gave us permission on that. Right. Been on Twitter lately. Yeah. I mean, you know, literally the day Elon Musk took the controls off, there was a 500 percent increase right. in the use of the N word on, on Twitter. So how do we get back to some because Trump, hey, look, he's almost 80 years old, whatever. He's not going to be around forever. But Trumpism which is really the disease we're talking about, that's going to live on for a very long time. How do you get rid of a disease? And, and you, you treat yourself. You know, when, when you're diagnosed with a problem and with, by the doctor, do you go, ah, F it. Well, <laughs> some people do. It, Look at the anti-vaxxers, Christian scientists. Some people don't want the treatment. Some people do, but the vast majority of us do not. And that's the point. Yeah. We're still a pluralistic, supposedly democratic-oriented, society in which the majority of us kind of kind of get to say this is what we think is in the best interest of all of us even right. those sitting in the corner just rocking back and forth even those who are outside throwing rocks at people even those who are screaming you know out the window we're going to we as the majority are going to say that democracy is better than theocracy or better than anarchy or better than authoritarianism we the majority are going are the ones who are going to say that like our ancestors before us embracing the globe embracing those who want to be a part of this experiment is how we have been defined from the very first settlers on the soil mm -hmm. um, so we are the ones um, that and that's why I said the most important words are we the people, because we're the ones who are going to have that decision. If we give that power to MAGA to decide for the rest of us, uh, that MAGA says that they want a fascist uh, neo-Christian uh, you know, theocracy, where does that put you, my friend, if you're not a Christian? Right. Where does where does that put my Muslim brother? Yeah, well, you're because asking a, you're asking them to think, which is part of the problem. I am. I That's am. It's a big ask, and Michael. It is. It is. But you know, there was. I I just remember being in classes over the years and sort of falling into that zone, and the nuns always had a way of snapping me out of it. And that's that's what we have to do. We have to have that moonstruck moment in which, you know, we slap the crap out of each other and say, snap out of it. That's, that's what's missing. In the past, Andy, our political leaders did that. It was the Republican leadership, you know, back in the day, you know, the Dirksons and others who stood up and said, dude, we're not doing white nationalism. All right, John Birch, hit the road, get out of here. There's no room for you in the party. Go back and look at Bob Dole at the 96 convention where he basically told Republicans, hey, you know, don't bring that crap up in here. Mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not buying racism. Look at John McCain in that town hall meeting when the woman goes, oh, well, you know, Barack Obama ain't a Christian. He's a, no, ma'am, he's not. He's mm -hmm. a good, God-fearing man, mm -hmm. family man. All right? Where are those voices? Where are, where are the, where are they, the men they're and They're resigning left and right. They're leaving, they're they're leaving the, Congress. But even before they resigned, they said nothing. Right. 
they said nothing. And that's why they so resigned. Because they can't you say anything. Say something, but you can say something and then resign. My point is you said nothing. You kept your damn mouth shut in the face of everything that we've seen happen. And by your silence, you accepted it. By your silence, you promoted it. I'm so sick and got sick a long time ago. A Republicans telling me, oh, I'm so glad you're on MSNBC. I, I love it when you speak truth to power. I'm like, dude, you're, you're a member of Congress. Your microphone <laughs> is a hell of a lot bigger than mine. Where's your voice? I'm, I'm, not, I'm no longer elected. So, you know, my weight is only about that much. You know, it's not, it's not the same as a member. Well, you see what elected. happens with, with Cheney and Kissinger. They speak up. Right. What happened? They, they, well, Cheney's yes, a rhino. They, Liz Cheney's a rhino. Right, for the, for the Liz record. Cheney's a rhino. But they were willing to pay the price. Mm -hmm. These other value. Look, here's the kicker for me. You value the seat so much you keep your mouth shut and still resign from it. I mean, then what was the point? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Liz, Liz and, and Adam at least said, hey, no, this is this is crazy. You know, this stain is going to be on you mm -hmm. if we continue this. Do you think and she runs? Do you think she runs for president? Not not in this cycle, no. Mm -hmm. Because it, there's there's no win. Any any third party effort at this point is nothing but a play for Donald Trump, period. That includes no labels or anyone else who's out there thinking about it. The reality of it is the math is the math. You can't show which state you get electoral college votes from, but you can show the multitude of states where you draw the, the vote away from Biden and towards Trump. Mm -hmm. So, And you think Cheney would draw away from Biden more than, than Trump? Oh, in a in a republic in a primary, absolutely. In a general election, yeah, absolutely, mm. absolutely. Um, because what will happen is that those votes will will not go um, to Biden, and they just they they weaken him in some key states. But don't you think the people who in twenty twenty, who said, even though I'm a Republican or an independent, I have to vote for Biden, so they were smart yep. enough to make that choice patriotic enough to make that choice. Now, if right. they had a choice between Trump and Cheney on the ticket, knowing that if they vote for Cheney, they're throwing out a vote, which is going to negatively impact Biden, why would they suddenly lose that practical thinking, that logical thinking, rational thinking in terms of, nope, still has to be Biden? Why would they do that? I, I, because it's the, it's the nature of how, how campaigns come together and how people, how people feel. That's going to be much more of an emotional pick particularly mm -hmm. if they're still a little bit sour, you know, on, on Biden, you know, sort of on the, I'm going to hold my nose and do it. But if I've got a rose next to me, I'm going to, I'm going to lean towards the roads. Um, and you don't, you don't think about uh, or give consideration to uh, what the outcome will be mm. because you're, you, and I've talked to voters, you know, about this, you, you kind of believe you're the only, well, I'm the only one who's going to vote for anyway. Right. So. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, and then you multiply that, you know, 30, 40 million times across the country, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. Um, so it, it becomes, look, this is a, our system is designed and built for binary choice. Um, we have shown since Ross Perot in 92 that when you inject a third choice at this point, mm -hmm. I do believe, however, the country will move to a broader selection of candidates in the future. 
um, that there will be legitimate third parties uh, in place. Some of us are working, trying to figure out lanes in which that can grow organically, but it has to grow from the bottom up. You cannot start at the presidential level. Right. You can't, because a big part of this is reforming voters' behaviors. In other words, voters, our voters have grown up, grown up in a system in which their daddy, their mama, their grandma and granddad, their great uncle all voted a certain way, mm -hmm. right? I've heard it time and time again. My daddy was a Democrat. My mama was, you know, so you, so we, we have this line of succession in our, in our voting mentality. You've got to break that. You've got to get people to look at their voting as pluralistically as they look at the society. And, and they don't, they don't, they, they, they you know, you know, we are like, oh, yes, everybody in, everybody play. But when it comes to no, we just want these two, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's it's going to be a change in the behavior. That is not happening under no labels efforts right now. Mm -hmm. It's just not happening. That's a ruse. It's not going to work. Um, they cannot tell you which state they win. Their candidate wins. Do you get Maryland's 10 electoral votes mm -hmm. if you have Larry Hogan on the ticket? Mm -hmm. Do you get, um, you know, Utah's electoral votes if you have John Huntsman on the ticket? No, you don't. Maryland's going to vote for Biden and Utah's going to probably vote for Biden too or, mm -hmm. or, or Trump, depending on how that, how that shapes out. Mm -hmm. um, so the reality of it is uh, you cannot change the nature of the game in the course of the game. Uh, you've got to you've got to think more uh, prospectively, longer term, and build from there. And and we're just not we're not primed to do that right now. So speaking of twenty four, the last time you were on here, I asked you if you thought I was crazy if I said to you that Pence was going to get the nomination. You said no. No, and with the the timing of a comic, you said no, you wouldn't be crazy because you would be out of your fucking mind. <laughs> <laughs> so now I want to ask you: Do you think I'm crazy if I say that I think Nikki Haley's going to get the nomination? Uh, no, you wouldn't be crazy. But, um, but, but, um, you're you're. Uh, your your hopes are misplaced. I'll be I'll be kinder this time around. <laughs> no, by the way, I appreciate your answer. Look, I appreciate the Nikki Haley thing, but you tell me how she makes up forty points in in three weeks. Well, a new poll came out this morning that uh, has her within like thirteen or fourteen points in New Hampshire. Where is she in Iowa? Where is she? Where is she in the battleground states? You know mm -hmm. those those get to compete. N new Hampshire's not the only race in the primary, right. okay? Uh, Donald Trump is not losing New mm -hmm. Hampshire. I don't see Donald Trump losing. So he's, it, I, Donald Trump is the nominee, yeah. in your opinion. Hands Dude, down, I mean, no chance. What you think, you think two things. One, that Trump's base vote abandons him. And two, that in a primary situation, more of the anti-Trump vote is going to turn out than his base vote you in a general in a, a typical primary election or any you know for democrats too you're only talking out of all the registered republicans across the country and, and particularly in any given state 
20%, if you're real, if you're like, if you've done a lot of work, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of those voters are going to turn out to vote. 70 to 75% of your registered voters aren't going to play. So who are those 25%? They're the hardest of the hard. They're the hardiest of the hardiest. They are the most determined of the most determined. And their man is Donald Trump. And their man has been Donald Trump since like forever politically speaking. So Nikki is not, not cracking that nut. She hasn't cracked that nut. Polls showing her well within 13 points of in New Hampshire. Okay. But what, so what it's New Hampshire first off. Mm -hmm. So that in New Hampshire, you could have Democrats voting in that still. So yeah, Nikki could do well in New Hampshire. Chris Christie could do well in New Hampshire. Uh, Trump could lose New Hampshire, but then comes Super Tuesday. Nikki mm -hmm. is down 30 points in her own state as of last week. As the former governor of South Carolina, she's losing to Trump by 30 points. Do you think it would help her so, if Tim Scott endorses her? No. <laughs> by the way, no. you're talking to a guy who thought Pence was going to get the nomination, so... Right. Go easy. Uh, Go easy on me. I clearly have no fucking clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, no. See, this is the thing. We still want to look at this as a conventional race in which the horse on the on the on the on the back lanes can catch up and pass the guy, the horse that's in front. In a in a normal horse race, that works. But when the horse in front has, you know, the other jockeys disrupting the flow of things mm -hmm. or has, or has, you know, trainers, you know, doing funny things to the other horses, you know, the, the race is already slanted in a certain direction. The reality of it is I just don't see right now, uh, Nikki overcoming the odds. Here's why. Nikki's support is not coming from the base. Her support is coming from the moneyed interest, mm -hmm. just as that moneyed interest was behind DeSantis. They moved off to DeSantis, to Tim Scott. Why didn't they just go to Nikki right out of the gate? I mean, Nikki was strong first debate, mm -hmm. yet that money stayed with DeSantis. DeSantis showed himself to be in a competent boo as a candidate. And they, they were like, oh, okay. Oh, let's uh, Tim Scott. He sounds good. Let's do Tim Scott. Meanwhile, Nikki's still there. They didn't go to Nikki. It was all the girlfriend with Scott. Once the girlfriend came on the picture, that everybody. Loved Once Tim the Scott. girlfriend showed up, everyone like, oh hell no, we got <laughs> oh geez, here we go, black man with a white woman. Oh, here we go. So, so they moved off of that. But he, down he, there, here's, here's the thing. For the record, my hopes are that Trump gets that nomination, because. I think the Republicans are missing a huge opportunity here because Trump is not going to beat Joe Biden. He didn't beat him the first time. No, he's not going well, no, no, to no, beat him again. I agree. Nikki I agree. Haley actually would, I, I think. It and one of the reasons why is because guys like you who in a Trump-Biden would vote for Biden, if it's Biden-Haley, and Haley. rightly so, you're going back to Haley, yeah. as you should, as a conservative. So yeah. we're going to lose all of those people. I don't understand. Why. I mean, the polls show she would win by 16, 17 points. 
keep but keep in mind, Andy, a national poll today talking about an election in twenty in in, in November twenty twenty four is like me saying that uh, you know this time next year I'm going to have hair. <laughs> well, you could if you now. There are any number of ways I can have hair. Sure. I can go out and get a toupee. I can start some type of treatment, mm -hmm. uh, but it ain't going to happen naturally. <laughs> And so that's the thing. It's it's not it's not we don't know what will naturally happen um, a year from now mm -hmm. and where voters are going to be. Of course, all those voters who are sour on the president today after two and a half quarters of really good news on the economy the the the, the let's say the Israeli Hamas situation is in a better position Yachty, all these other things mm -hmm. that are now driving people nuts Trump's are doing less. Biden gets younger. Biden gets younger. Well, you know, Biden's age is not a problem for me because he was 78 when he ran. So I'm like, OK, or whatever he was. I'm like, OK, I'm fine with that. Voters chose him. They had a chance to sure. pick a younger vote. They had a chance to pick a younger candidate. Four years ago, all the lefties so that all the lefties that that are complaining that Biden is eighty are the same people going out and spending a thousand bucks to see Mick Jagger strut on stage. You Thank know? you. Thank you. So I'm like, it just shut the hell up. I mean, you had choices. I looked at that stage. Biden was the oldest person. You had younger people. You had young women, mm -hmm. young men on that stage, Pink and yet Buttigieg. you chose mm -hmm. Biden. Mm -hmm. So just shut the hell up about his age. It clearly didn't matter to you. You knew four years later he'd be four years older. So what the <laughs> hell did you think would happen? The man no. wasn't youthing. You're asking people to so think again, Michael. I'm asking people to think again, and it's 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 a rat. It's unfortunately a rational thing to do to yeah. ask people to think, but. I, I just I hear what you're saying. I just don't see the math working mm. because the base is not behind Nikki. Right. I don't hear MAGA voters saying, I'm fed up with Trump. I'm moving to Nikki Haley. They tried that with with Ron DeSantis was was, you know, the guy who who did the commercial where he's reading MAGA BS to his child. Right. And, you know, he was all MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. And, you know, I'm a Trump. I'm a Trump guy in a suit. And the base went, yeah, so you're not Trump. We want Trump. He's our what? Retribution. Mm -hmm. Nikki Haley's not their retribution. You know, and, and so I don't understand. So even OK, so here's the rest of the scenario that no one seemingly takes into account. So Nikki Haley somehow beats Donald Trump. What does Donald Trump say and do at that time when that while that's happening? You think that happens cleanly? You think that ha he allows that to happen without any level of interference by him? You think he says to her, Nikki, damn, you beat me in New Hampshire. Oh my God. You you want you squeaked out a win in the, in in some of the super uh, uh you know super states on Super Tuesday. I'm just gonna throw my my weight behind you and your effort to become the next president of the United <laughs> States. Nick, what do you need from me? What do you want me to do? Sounds like Trump. You think that happens again? Stop thinking of this ass as a conventional candidate. There's nothing conventional about him. He's not gonna play nice. In fact. 
I'll put it on the record right now. If he is not the nominee of this party, he will surreptitiously wind up endorsing Joe Biden. Trust me on that. No, I'm, I'm if, with you 100% on that. that would, that's so Trump. He's already indicated that that's he's so on already brand. tipped. He's, so, he's already tipped towards that direction. But wouldn't that just be the most beautiful way that this story ends? It would. It would. It, it <laughs> and is very like the final chapter would be like, and he endorsed Biden. The end. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Because that's how he thinks. God. What a I'll world fix we're living you. in. I'll show you. So you guys turn on me. I'll show you. Right. In our final couple of minutes, just give me uh, your take on what you think the court is going to do with the 14th Amendment and absolute immunity. Well, so if we're Supreme Court. Yeah. So here, here's Assuming the they take the cases, which they will. They, and that's a, actually a very fair point. They may just say, you know what? Y'all worked that out. We don't want to put our fingerprints on it a year out from an election. Right. So we'll let we'll let the lower court stand. Um, sorry, Mr. President, you're not on the ballot mm -hmm. in Utah. Is that I mean, what you think in, they're going to do? Colorado. Uh, I, I have to be very honest with you. Um, I think that would be something Justice Roberts would want to do. I don't know at this point if he has the votes to do it. Uh, and, and I think he would want to do it because you, ha and here's the why I think he just he needs would one more, you know? Well, where does he get the one more? I mean, I'm just saying it's there. Yeah, I I, I'm going to, I'll finish out the thought for you because I think you really pose a, a very important question in terms of the, the, the time, the line that the, the court's got to go through. So I think he would want to do that because there are seven, eight other states with this question before it. I think three or four have already said, and no, you can, we're not going to play. Trump's on the ballot. But you have other states, and I think Michigan is one of them, mm -hmm. where this, this question is coming before them. One state, you have four states that says, no, he can be on the ballot. One state says, we're kicking him off, right? I think the court would want to see how the rest of this plays out. Whether that one state becomes... Um, uh, an outlier mm -hmm. or that one state becomes um, a, a point of momentum, in which case three of the remaining states, four of the other mis remaining states join Colorado. And now you've got a situation, but that's going to play itself, itself out over time. And the court largely is going to say, you guys work it out. Um, and if those states, if those states say he can't be on the ballot, he can't be on the ballot. There's that. The other part of this, though, that's important is if they decide to take it, it stress tests their idea of themselves, and this is the conservative majority, that in, here, in um, hearing after hearing um, during their, um, uh, when they were being vetted, they talked about being what? You know, we're constitutional purists. You know, we believe in stare decisis. We believe in the rule of law. We believe that, um, you know, strict constructionism is how you should read the Constitution. Plain letter, black, black, plain black letter law. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's read the 14th Amendment, Section 3. And what does it say? 
And it says that, hey, an officer, right, of our government, and by officer, someone who was sworn an oath, mm-hmm. right, um, who engages in insurrection, can't be on a ballot. It's not, con- it's strict construction. Mm-hmm. Plain letter black law. You, how else do you read it? You can't, you can't, there's no wiggle room if you, if you're such a strict constructionist, you have to, you have to, well, sorry. And that's exactly what Colorado did. Colorado said, well, the constitution says this, and these are the elements that make up the, this, <laughs> right? And he met all the elements. So yeah, I, I think the court, I think Roberts wants to avoid that. I think he knows that a ruling that says that Donald Trump is above the law, which is effectively what they would be saying, because he's got two of these cases now, mm-hmm. not just the Colorado case. He's got the Jack Smith case. Mm-hmm. Says, right, court, tell me whether or not he can't be prosecuted for the crimes he committed as president. Mm-hmm. Tell me he has. Uh, tell me the president of the United States has absolute immunity. Period. Above every other officer of the court of the law. <laughs> I I just think he sees a box. And he's going to try to avoid the political consequences of both those boxes. Um, I think they, I think they, I think they judge that the president of the United States is not immune mm-hmm. uh, in the Jack Smith case. And I think ultimately, if they if they decide to take this case, I think they side they have to side with Colorado because of their strict constructionist views, but. The politics may overwhelm the Clarence Thomases and the Alitos, and you know, you wind up with a situation in which they basically say that he can't be kept off the ballot. The Fourteenth Amendment doesn't apply, but then they will have to explain under what circumstances it does, mm-hmm. because I can't think of a plain, plainer, more clear view of when that would apply than what we see here. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on both of those accounts. So I'm, I'm going to end here by reading what I consider to be the tweet of the year, which happens to be yours. Oh. <laughs> with regard to Rudy Giuliani, you said he fucked around and found out 148 million <laughs> times. You, I mean, that's it. I mean, need, need you say more, right? That's it right no, there. No, you don't. No, you don't. And the, the beauty of that is... He thinks he gets out from under it by declaring bankruptcy. And he comes out after that ruling and he doubles down further. So now they're going back at him again um, to to extract more from him. I think I think Rudy um, has other issues right now uh, that he uh, needs to have addressed. Um, He's not listening to has not listened to the advice of his counsel. Um, he's not kept his mouth shut and he's paid, he's now on the hook for 148 million, uh, reasons he didn't keep his mouth shut and that's on him. Well-deserved. Yeah. And the bankruptcy code does not, you know, when it's defamation, debtors can't discharge the debt. So cannot discharge the debt. Mm -hmm. And and so he thinks he's getting covered by that. I'm sorry. Nope. Sorry. That's not going to help you here. Yeah. That $6 million apartment you have up on the Upper West Side, East Side, whatever the hell in New York, guess what? There are two black women now in Georgia who own it. (laughs) (laughs) 
And there's nothing more poetic than that, baby. I'm sorry. No, there's gonna, nothing more poetic. So we're gonna we're gonna so, end on that because we can't top that. Michael, this has been a lot of fun and very insightful. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, look forward to the oh, next man, time. Oh man, it's always a pleasure. All you right. got it, and have a blessed New Year, man. You too. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye bye. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy. It was co-edited and co-produced by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wind. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards and have a great week. Thank you.